Hello, everyone, and welcome back again to the Fan Fiction Tapes, Episode 5, Story Spotlight on Gideon the Ninth. I'm Maya, and I am joined by... Hey, it's Cam, again. You know, that guy from the internet on the first episode. <laughs> and as usual, I am Ian, the producer. As you may have guessed from the title and that intro, today's episode is all about Gideon the Ninth, but what is a story spotlight? Well, when planning out the show, we decided that every fifth uh, episode in a month, because this happened uh, somewhat rarely due to just the allocation of days in a month, we would do something special. We decided to talk about a story that means something to the cast and crew here, uh, and the first one we wanted to go with was Gideon the Ninth. Yeah, this is this is a story that we're all very normal about. <laughs> I feel very normal things about these characters, for sure. Indeed. <laughs> so, to start off with, Gideon the Ninth is... Well, it sure is a story, and it's a little hard to describe accurately, almost. It's a sci-fi setting uh, with plenty of magic uh, thrown about the world. You know, I think I'll just read from the back of the book. The Emperor needs necromancers. The Ninth Necromancer needs a swordswoman. Gideon has a sword, some dirty magazines, and no more time for undead nonsense. I think that's probably a pretty apt uh, description of the book. Yeah, like, that's it. That's the story. That's, that's about <laughs> yep. it. Yep. Yep. Um... <laughs> It was originally the first in a trilogy. It is now the first in a series of four because the final book got too long and the author had to split it in two. Mm -hmm. And from what I've heard, the fourth book is still promising to be a chonky boy. Yes. Um, I think it just got delayed for by all the thing a year. Yeah, for all the things that it uh, has to contain, it's probably going to be like brick size. I'm not complaining, though. I've been here since 2020. I am prepared to hang in here as long as it takes. Gosh, I don't remember when I got into the series. I should probably figure that out at some point. Uh, but we will, uh, as kind of the nature of this implies, be getting into spoilers for the book. Um, we'll try to avoid getting into spoilers for the rest of the series, but that is going to happen during the episode. Um, so if you don't want any spoilers at all, there's your warning. Um, although I will say this is a book that is meant such that spoilers do not ruin it. It is a book that was definitely written to be reread. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the one it, of the things I appreciate about it. Yeah, it just mm -hmm. gets better on, on each reread. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is why I have bought three copies and oh no myself. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> I have a perfectly normal collection of of the books as well and I, I by that I think I mean I think I have three copies of every book except the one that just came out but once the paperback of that one comes out I will have nine total books I have only this bought is fairly normal. three copies of the first two and two of the second book I don't plan on buying a third copy of the third book but we'll see wow see i i said that once and here i am 
I, I only have one copy of each on ebook. I don't even have the physical paperbacks yet. See, the black-edged black copies and the Illumicrate special editions were too pretty. I couldn't not, so here I am. Yeah, there, there was I... recently a very pretty series uh, or collection of the books signed by the author, released by Illumicrate, uh, and I spent too much money on them. Mm, here, here. But they're gorgeous. They're the art on the on the inner cover jackets alone, oh. which listeners could find it on Tumblr or on the internet, but it's absolutely incredible. It is beautiful. And there's like official-ish art of my favorite character, which is very cool. Very fun and sexy to see. Yeah. There's um Yeah, inside the inside the cover of the third book of the Illumicrate edition. Ooh, I actually haven't looked in there yet. I've mostly just looked you should. in uh, my copy of Gideon. Well, I, I didn't realize the books were signed uh, until about 30 minutes ago. <laughs> when in I didn't realize that there was art on the... I didn't realize there was art on the cover jacket until, like, I unboxed them. There's a video of me on my uh, TikTok account, which has accidentally become Locked Tomb Theory Central, um, where I'm unboxing and in real time realizing that there's art on the outer jackets of these books uh, and then getting way too excited um, because they're... <laughs> Because there's art of my girl. I'm sure as we get into the episode, we'll yeah. some one of you will put a quarter in me about the sixth house. Um, but yeah, that was a fun <laughs> realization. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now I think it is time to. That is actually a good segue for the uh, main content of the episode: us gushing about what all we love about it. He he he. Oh. So. Where do we even start? Well, to tie it back into a previous episode, for me, um, I think I've mentioned in, in our episode on plots that I like plots that involve mysteries and heists, and Gideon the Ninth, uh, oh, it's, I mean, it's a locked room mystery where the locked room is an entire planet. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect to it. There is and, also a heist that happened, but I don't think that gets got into until book two. No. Oh god! <laughs> I just realized what you were referring to. Dios wow. Apache Major. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the stupid book series. I say stupid with like the deepest amount of affection in my heart, but like I, it, when you were talking about spoilers earlier, I was going also half of the spoilers. If we alluded to them, no one would like believe us. No one anyway. would. So, like, it's fine. <laughs> if I said a line that would make uh, Ian and Cam both just cackle, you wouldn't understand it was a spoiler until you got to that part where it was revealed. Mm -hmm. <gasps> um, and that actually kind of ties into the, this and also how hard we were laughing. Something I love about this is Tamsin Moore fits memes into her writing. Um, and she said it's not even entirely intentional, it's just she thinks she's being funny. She is. Um, <laughs> and it's definitely something very nice, it's something I try to do with my writing after having read these books, um, is fit more memes in, because it's funny. It's enjoyable as a reader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can definitely tell that the story was written by someone who kind of came up into storytelling in the world of fan fiction and 
Mm-hmm. I'm really grateful that we're at a stage in storytelling where that's not a, a slam or a dunk on someone, but rather a testament to the many different ways that someone can come to storytelling. Um, but everything from the cadence of her storytelling to the way that she shamelessly plays with tropes and memes and different experimental storytelling styles, like it's really refreshing. And even before I knew anything about the author as a person, I read Gideon the Ninth and I, I got through it and looked at all the references and went, as someone who's been writing fanfic on the internet for half my life, I was like, aha, you're one of my people, aren't you? And when I was right, I was very excited. And I really think that's, it's not only something that I think is really special to those of us who did grow up on the internet, but I think it's also really important in establishing that people who write fanfic are oftentimes, they're not, they're not amateurs. It's not silly. I think there's a lot of like, rhetoric around fanfic writing that is very negative and unkind um and oh, it's nice to see that that's being changed especially as someone who like i cited fan fiction and archive of our own in my master's thesis because you cannot talk about the way that i started writing without talking about fan fiction and you know i grew up on the internet in an era where talking about fanfic was something cringe and something you didn't do and now people are just like yeah i wrote fanfic it's how i got this good and that's really cool so also, she just had, you know, free license to make meme references that made me want to throw the book across the room. So that was also fun. <laughs> it is a fan work. Affectionate. Also, yes, you sure might not is. be silly, but I sure am. <laughs> How about we dig into um, one of the things that I know all of us have been rotating in our heads about this book, the characters. Mm hmm. Oh boy, what a cast of characters. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> so, uh, to start off with, you have the titular character, <laughs> uh, Gideon the Ninth, or Gideon Nav. Basically an indentured servant to one of the other main characters, uh, Harrowhark uh, Nonagesimus. I hope I pronounced that right. There's a pronunciation guide, and I'm still bad at it. I think it's a hard G, Nonagesimus. Darn. That's how I've been saying it. Yeah. But then again, I was involved in very spirited, affectionate debates on my TikTok page about if it's uh, Palamides or Palamides, so like I cannot possibly judge. I'm just sitting here. I, I, I it, say it, it the second a, way, uh... Palamides. I say Palamides. Oh. Well... Uh, that's the end of the episode. I'm afraid Cam will never be... <laughs> no, kidding, kidding, kidding. Wow. I, I, admittedly, it's mostly because of the fact that that's what the pronunciation guide says, but also because then you can make a Palamides nuts joke, and I will, I commit fully to the bit. Oh, God, I almost oh. made that joke while you were saying that. Hehehe, <laughs> you understand me. Yeah, and it looks like it says, um, Gessimus. I just opened up the pronunciation guide because I knew I was going to mispronounce it all episode and that would bug me if I didn't. So to to any listeners who have never heard of the series before and are like, oh, what am I getting myself into? Um, You're getting into, you know, that feeling when when you read like a like a book with words you've never heard said out loud, you've only read them. Um, That experience is replicated a million times over with like all the people in this book. It's not just yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Tamsin Moore's writing, and kind of related, is a bit complex. It's a bit to chew through. This is probably the first time in over a decade where I've had to 
go and look up what the words in a book were. Oh yeah, that's that actually happened to me too. That's very surprising on on to 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 run into and very 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 helpful to have the ebook on that point by the way cuz then you can just highlight the word and tap and say look up. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. I have also heard phenomenal things about the audiobook while we are in an audio format. <laughs> hmm. I have not listened to them because I don't have the attention span for it, but I have heard only phenomenal things. Oh right, the characters. Oh right, that's what we were talking about. Characters. <laughs> Harrow and Gideon have a very uh fraught relationship. Harrow it or Harrow Hark, she's called Harrow by pretty much everyone. Is she's the head honchu of the ninth house, which is some uh small planetary religious sect. They're a bone cult. I was about to be like, that's a very uh, diplomatic way of defining it. Yeah, I was trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> I'm not Gideon. That's fair. Oh yeah, also, have I mentioned, Gideon carries a sword. She's a sword lesbian, she does. I love it. Mm -hmm. Her sword Her sword is about 45% of her personality, just ask her. <laughs> I love Gideon, I roast her a lot. Her internal monologue is enough like mine, where I'm, I'm like, okay, I understand her, and so I can make fun of her. That's how that works, right? I don't know. <laughs> My engagement with works is like I look at the I look at the the piece of media and I immediately identify my blurbos, and and then I just go buck wild. Yep. Um. And speaking of Cam's blurbos, um. Oh wait, actually, <laughs> I realized we never actually gave a description for Harrow. <laughs> so before we get to Cam's blurbos, um, <laughs> at least finishing one thing, trying to be on track, um. We're all just too excited. We're just keep talking over are. each other. We're having too much fun. So, Harrow is very prickly. I think that's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, her and Gideon have had an incredibly destructive relationship all their lives. They are their worst enemies and their only friends. Yeah, for some for mm -hmm. some reason, um, the entire generation of uh children on the entire planet of the ninth house was uh wiped out when Gideon was a baby. So they are the only two uh young people on an entire planet full of olds. Yeah. Um the next nearest is I think eighteen to twenty years older than both of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's not really very interesting till the next book. <laughs> now transitioning to Cam's favorite blurbos. Um, I'm not wrong. <laughs> no, you're not. Not at all. <laughs> the sixth house is uh, comprised of Palamides, Sextus, the Master Warden, and... Camilla Hecht? I don't actually remember what her title is. She's the Warden's Hand. Ah, uh, thank you. Not to worry, the Sixth House expert is here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I should explain myself. Um, so, uh, the Sixth House, it's basically a house of nerds. Um, they, they are called uh, by the society that this story is set in at large, uh, The Emperor's Reason, and they do a lot of research 
that is predominantly what their house does. There's, it, it's called the library for a reason. Um, and, and the master warden becomes the master warden, not through birthright, but by passing a series of exams. Um, they're basically just mega nerds. Um, and Palamides Sextus is a like 20 year old nerd boy who also manages to be like the nicest, nice young man, trademark sign. Um, <laughs> he's very endearing. I love him a lot. I, I feel a very normal way about the sixth house. Clearly. Mm -hmm. um, I am restraining myself immensely as we speak. I can from, tell. <laughs> from talking about them. Um, it's, yeah, I feel very normal and fine about them. Um, oh, yeah. Something that's like integral to the setting that we did not explain at all, um, go us, is that each. <laughs> Um, so there are nine necromantic houses. Get this. They do death magic. Um, Ooh. And they all serve an emperor undying. Each house has a primary heir uh, of some kind, and that heir has... Um, is there the primary necromancer? They also have a cavalier primary functionally their bodyguard usually someone who they have a very good relationship with um mm -hmm. now it is something of a taboo to be um more intimate with your uh cavalier <laughs> however uh a lot of characters in this book ignore that rule yeah it's um i'm laughing well, because <laughs> You you put that sort of relationship in front of me, and that was enough to compel me to keep reading. Um, I don't necessarily like the forbidden romance trope, but I do like the whole, like, we're probably not supposed to do this. There will probably be disastrous consequences, but also consider you're hot. Clearly, yeah. nothing will go wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I that <laughs> describes, like, at least five different popular ships in the fandom. Yeah, exactly. I, I know what I'm about. Um... This is a lie. I never know anything. I'm just happy to be here in the corner with my little nerds. I will refrain from <laughs> <laughs> expanding. There are more characters, um, and perhaps ones Ian would like to talk about. Um, mm. The third house. Okay, so... Ah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Get this, there's three of them. <laughs> Alright, so, yeah. Oh, the shit, uh... Really? So when uh, when the third house turns up, we meet uh, two twins who are the uh, the necromantic heirs to the house and one cavalier, and Ianthe, awful girl, <laughs> holds a special place in my heart. Yeah. She's, she's one of the twins, and she stays in the <laughs> shadows for most of the story, and then makes a Big splash at the end. You could say that certainly. The uh, the splash That's is mostly blood. Describe... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that. <laughs> now you're right, though. <laughs> oh boy. There are other houses, but they're less. Um, I don't even want to say they're less central to the plot because pretty much every character that shows up is important to the plot of the first book in some way, which is really nice. Almost nothing that Tamsin Muir does is unnecessary. Um, mm -hmm. 
even if you don't know why it's necessary yet, even if we never will learn why it's necessary, it's almost certainly necessary. Um, there's a lot of subtle world building that she does throughout the first book. Um, that in particular, it's implied that the nine houses all are somewhere within Seoul, the solar system where we currently reside. Yeah. And it's not clear at first, um, because we, we start on the ninth house, and that could, frankly, be any generic sci-fi setting at first. When you reach the first house with Gideon and Harrow, you start to see some hints of it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of hints that, for instance, the ninth house is way, way further from the central star of the system than the third house is, because they both have to put uh, coverings over their eyes to deal with the intensity of the light. Harrow goes for the the uh, traditional sort of uh, black silk veil, uh, whereas uh, Gideon opts for a pair of aviator sunglasses. I like Gideon's choice. Yes, yes, so do I. Well, I mean, I'm also wearing aviator glasses right now that I got yeah. specifically so I could do a Gideon cosplay. <laughs> There's a moment where Gideon is, is confused by um, the day-night cycle. Of the planet, <laughs> because she's used me too. It's called yeah. insomnia. <laughs> because she's she's used to having the uh, the lights being um, electronic and um, and not controlled automatically. Electronic, they're neon lights. Sorry, Mar marginal nitpick. That's they're not LEDs. Works. They're neons. Um, yeah, no, it was something they they still work off of electricity. Well, yes, but usually electronic lights are first LEDs. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, it and that was a detail I thought was neat. I will defer to right. you as the resident engineer, but I'll, I'll leave it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's there's... Oh, there was something that I was going to say about characters, and I don't remember. Oh, yeah. I'll wait till you get back to that topic, though. I just got too excited for a minute. Uh-oh. Um, um, <laughs> I think, fair, I think if anything, I, I think if I was going to... I don't remember if I had anything else to add on there. I've, I've been thoroughly derailed. I, I was going to mention that um, what we just mentioned with uh, kind of the details about the houses and the, the neon lights, there is actually like a hmm. kind of reference to... Well, they're not literally neon, but they run off of um, noble gases. These lights are usually called neon lights because they have some kind of gas inside that's excited by passing electrical current through it and then it glows. Yeah. Um, be careful doing that with some gases. Some will just explode. Um, Please do not blow yourself up. This yes, has been no. a PSA. <laughs> if you blow yourself up, you do can't not... listen to the show anymore. <laughs> if... Blowing yourself up is one of those things where uh, you should not imitate art, or rather, a book. <laughs> okay, on one hand, I feel a little attacked because I've almost done that. Um, okay. But that is also a Please. reference to numerous incidents. <laughs> Which, again, welcome to this series. It's not just talking about one, although there is one explosion that wounded me deeper than all the other ones, but yeah. Yeah, there, there, there's... um. Two particular ones that are brutal in Gideon the Ninth, um, and that's something else. 
Tempestine Moomir knows how to reach into your stomach, twist around a little bit, and pull. She does not come to fuck around. She is a master of the art of kicking your heart in the dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's... There's a moment, uh, I believe, partway through the book where... Um, okay, so actually I should explain the fourth house. Um, uh, Jean-Marie mm. Chatur and Isaac something or other. Uh, Tataris, I believe? Tataris, yes. yeah. Tataris. Yes. Um, which, if you've noticed a pattern amongst the names, congratulations. <laughs> I'm not going to elaborate. <laughs> um, They'll figure it out. But, so... To Gideon, uh, Jean-Mary looks up to Gideon pretty consistently. Um, oh, boy. And when Gideon looks at Jean-Mary, she doesn't see basically a younger version of herself, which is kind of what a lot of us see. She sees a kid trapped in this empire and bred for war. And she doesn't even really make the connection that although she's only a few few years older than Jean-Marie, when she was her age, she too wished to go off and fight and all those awful things. Yeah, the way that Tamsin very consistently takes character dynamics like that and uses them as mirrors is one of my favorite elements. I'm very much like a character-driven storytelling kind of person. Um, but like, you know, the way that Jean-Marie and Gideon are juxtaposed against each other the way that the 6th house and the ninth house Zions are juxtaposed against each other. Um, I could talk about that well. for forever. Yeah, I could talk about that forever, um, but I will not because I'm trying to be normal. Um, <laughs> but it's... yeah, it's All I will say is it's very interesting, especially with the 6th house and the ninth house, because the 6th house is an image of what... Camilla and Palamides are an image of what Gideon and Harrow could be if a few key things were different. And I find that endlessly fascinating. They were Gideon and Harrow if they had a good childhood. Yeah, and, like, didn't hate each other. <laughs> like, well, okay, I mean, context... that would be a byproduct of a good childhood, I think. That's fair. I mean, context, I guess, for people coming in on this blind. Um, Camilla and Palamides grew up together. They were in lockstep from the very first moment that we meet them in the story. Um... They are possibly a bit too attached, um, but Impossible. that's for another. Yeah, okay, listen, I'm trying to be normal about them. Um, but the two of them are, Palamides looks at Harrow and sees someone incredibly intelligent, someone that he respects. And by contrast, the rest of it seems to be, um, I don't know how to describe it, but there's something about the way that it's laid out in the actual text itself that even if you've never, ever read anything about the story before, you know that this relationship, Gideon and Harrow's, is signaling at something that could be more because you're also looking across the text at the sixth house and how they're constantly thrown together, if that makes sense. And I think that's yeah. really interesting because Tamsin does a really good job of doing that. Like it's it's like you're being gently nudged in the direction of a conclusion, but whether or not you take that conclusion seriously is up to you. But yeah, anyway, interpersonal relationships, very juicy, very interesting. Really enjoy um the way that Tamsin 
because I feel like a lot of writers, especially in this crossover genre she lives in, they spend so much time on like the setting characters. and world building and, and the characters themselves, but not as they relate to each other. And you really need all of those things to craft a rich story that's yeah. really engaging. And clearly, as seen by the three of us, um, it's very engaging. She did a good yes. job. Uh, if, <laughs> if you are a person who really enjoys uh, like characters and characters being written well, then The Locked Tomb is definitely a series for you. Mm-hmm. It's a very voicey story as well. Like, Gideon's narrative voice is so fun. Oh, me, yes, anyway. it is. Like, um, I totally agree. Sorry. Like you're, it feels like you're listening... feels like you're listening to what you are listening to, like an 18, 19-year-old young woman and her internal monologue. And, you know, the, the way I will say that... I would not classify Gideon the Ninth or really like the, the whole entire story as like a romance, but love is in it. And I like that as yes, well. It is. I, I wouldn't call the series a romance, but romance does happen during the book. It's just like, mm -hmm. it's there. It's happening. And also, so is everything else. Um, everything else is happening so much all the time. It feels like getting hit over the head with a brick, but in like a really good way. Um, I. There's a phrase from um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy um, that amounts to that, yes. Um, it's something like um, drinking a pan-galactic gargle blaster, which, as I recall correctly, is described drinking as being like hit in the head with a gold brick wrapped around by a lemon. <laughs> that is one <laughs> hell of a descriptor. It is. Um... <laughs> I need to reread Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, the other thing, and I will maybe shut up and be normal after this, although jury's out, but if you, so I, I grew up in a, I grew up in a Christian home and I still am a Christian. And if you grew up around the Bible, especially if you grew up like in the Catholic church, you're going to find a whole uh, wealth of things to analyze and think about in this story, because there's a lot of religious references. Muir um, herself is Catholic and was raised Catholic. And that's really interesting as well from like an analysis perspective. Um, there's a lot of nods to and references to, especially when we get into like the concept of the Emperor Undying, aka God, as some people in the first book referred to him. And all of that is if you if you are the oh, kind of yeah, person that likes right. to analyze what you read, uh, you will have so much fun with these books. Just yeah, an endless is, amount. There oh. is so much to analyze. Um there is layers on layers of stuff that the fandom hasn't even begun to touch yet because we don't have the final book. And... Oh, the final book's gonna kill me. <laughs> oh, God. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect I am going to spend that evening just laid out. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's an experience. <laughs> it sure is an experience, and one that I wholeheartedly recommend to basically everyone. Um... To the another thing oh. that if people like, they should read this. If you like well written, well choreographed sword fights, this is a series for you. Yeah, specifically the uh -huh. first book has just yeah great one. There's there's one there's one in particular, one fight in particular in the first book that um lives in my brain forever because I am very normal. Is it? Oh, actually, I'm not certain which one that is. Um. There's, my uh, guess. there's two candidates I'm thinking of, but my guess would be the second one. 
Go loud? Yes. Okay. Uh, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Cannon, Cannon gave me a dual wielder who is heinously underestimated by most people and very extremely loyal to one person. And I said, oh, that's for me. Thank you. <laughs> I feel yes. a very normal way about Camilla Hecht, mm -hmm. clearly. Uh, yes. And other Go characters like her. On a t-shirt, even. Yeah. <laughs> you sure do. I sure do. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's like you know me or something. No, it's um, but it's it's really fun because you know you can, if you're like me, you the nebulous you listening. Um, if you're like me and I grew up on action and action fantasy movies, um, and I've always seen things in my head quite cinematically, and so it's a real treat to read duels and sword fights that not only give you an insight into the workings of the world from a setting perspective, because there are rules to these duels and there's you know methods of engagement and tradition and whatnot to a point. Um. And it also displays, you know, stuff about the characters and how they choose to approach problems. If you're Gideon, that just means whacking it with your two-hander. Um, but it also, <laughs> like, they're just really cleanly written, and that's really fun. I love a good fight scene that can give both, you know, both an insight into the characters and then also just, like, who doesn't love a good fight scene? Who doesn't love a good ultimate smackdown? Yeah. Military, cop, military cop versus nerd, the fight you never thought you were going to see. Yeah, um... I feel a very normal way about that. Obviously. How many yeah, times also, have I said that in this episode? Everyone's <laughs> going to be sitting here like, oh, Cam's really weird. Like, yeah, I am. It's yeah, fine. <laughs> I, we're, we're all weird down here. Um, if you're a fencer as well, I think you'll appreciate it. Um, I mm -hmm. used to fence. I should get back into that. Things I say I should do and then never do. Um, and especially if you're someone who, like me, tended to kind of fight a bit brutally and not necessarily elegantly. Um, I never said I was good. Um, <laughs> I used height <laughs> advantage. Um, then Gideon is going to be someone you can relate to. If you can relate to Gideon, you have a few problems, homie. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's putting it mildly. Oh, she's such, she's such, such a fun character. Mm-hmm. She's just real... She's real gay. She's just like she... Gideon's. Gideon wow. is very gay. Yes. <laughs> I say My... that as a lesbian. This woman, she sees she sees a, a, a swooning damsel in distress and instantly jumps to the rescue. And I'm sitting there like, girl, really? Okay. I cannot judge, but like, girl, really? <laughs> It's quite delightful. I, I I enjoy that element of her character. Um, actually, something I do want to get to sometime today. Um, unfortunately, I must stop uh, us gushing constantly. Uh, perhaps uh, I should put the bandage over that um, gushing artery. <laughs> <laughs> Ian and I are both like, we don't have regrets. <laughs> Neither do I, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, why why have we chosen to talk about uh, Gideon the Ninth this month? Well, aside from the fact that we are in all incredibly impatient and want to talk about this as soon as possible, Gideon the Ninth also has a really really great beginning. And since in January we've been doing the theme of beginnings all month, we figured this would be the perfect one to go with. So true. 
Uh, the story it starts is a very off good with um, a kind of depressing sentiment. Um, I'll actually go ahead. I guess read it out. Actually, um, I, I have it open here. <laughs> oh yeah, probably better than me flipping through my book. In the myriadic year of our Lord, the ten thousandth year of the King Undying, the kindly Prince of Death, Gideon Nav packed her sword, her shoes, and her dirty magazines, and she escaped from the House of the Ninth. So that sets up a lot of things right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and for those of you who don't know, uh, a myriad is a period of 10,000 years. That's why those were linked together there. Um, and so we have something about the world. We're set off with, okay, there's this dude, the king undying, who has evidently been ruling um, for 10,000 years, more or less. And also, the for those of you who were raised in the u.s or otherwise have a lot of culturally christian influences you probably recognize the year of our lord being a christian system of dating so there's already mm. analogies being drawn to christianity and to catholicism mm -hmm. as cam mentioned earlier in the episode so there's a lot right there and we're barely through the first sentence yeah and partic particularly the format of referring to it as year of our lord is yes. is very much a a catholic ish tradition yeah, um, that's actually what uh, the dating system of A.D., if you've ever seen that before, mm -hmm. that come that I believe is Latin for Year of Our Lord. I may be wrong at that because I, I didn't take Latin. It's called An, anno, anno Domini or something like that. Yeah, I know that that's uh, what A.D. stands for. I just don't know what that translates to in English. My my smarts only go so far. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like when you're talking about like starting a story and all the like common, I think I went on a rant about this the last episode I was on, but like the common advice of like, you know, when you start a story, like you should pack in, you know, all this stuff in the first, you know, sentence. It doesn't always work that way, but Gideon the Ninth is one example of doing that successfully and really succinctly. Yes. Um, and then we also get a little bit more um, about Gideon. Because yep. she packed, uh, what was it again? Um, her sword, her shoes, sword. and her dirty magazines. So, first off... She has her priorities. Yes, she has her priorities, and she has them in the correct order. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I say this as a lesbian with probably too many swords. Um, no such thing. Collect more. I'm enabling you. also... <laughs> I probably will when I start earning money this semester. Um, <laughs> Every household can always use more swords. <laughs> for flavor, for spice, for decoration. Oh, my parents are going to be so depressed when they hear this episode. <laughs> Hi, parents. I, I regret nothing, despite how it sounds right now. <laughs> um, yeah, and... Also, something that's key with that is Gideon doesn't have a lot of stuff. What she packs is listed as three items, and you get this very sense of Gideon does not have many things. She doesn't pack any clothes. She packs shoes. And then you also kind of get a sense of some of her character and that her dirty magazines are important to her. Um, yes, that is in fact a character trait, believe it or not. Uh, and that's already does a wonderful job of establishing Gideon, but then we get to she escapes from the House of the Ninth. 
talk about a juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Especially when you realize, like, the circumstances around that choice to exit. You read a bit further down on the first page, I believe, and it's like, oh, that's why. Okay. It's very interesting to me anyway. Yeah, no, it's it's very fascinating how well Muir set up the world and the rest of the book in the first two pages. Mm-hmm. Um, something she did that might not seem like a good choice given all of the other things we're rambling about with her doing um, is that Gideon doesn't really have a great understanding of the magic system that operate that um, the nine houses operate on. That's very true. <laughs> and there's, there's actually a really popular Tumblr post, if you've seen it, uh, rolling across the internet in the last few months, um, talking about basically doing exactly that, you know, and comparing it to real life. I think we mentioned this during an episode um, about whether, you know, do you, do you personally have um, several pages of exposition on how internal combustion engines and radio towers work? Unless you're an engineer of some kind, you probably don't. Um, if you are, I'm sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> There's something for every nerd. Yep. Um, and it, it's a really neat choice to get to see the world through someone who has no idea what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. So we're actually running pretty close to time, although there's probably um, more time. I believe Cam has to go a little early today. You are spared from my perfectly normal feelings about the sixth house any longer. Congrats. Um, so before I, we... I say, this is a threat. I'll be back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, don't worry. Before... By the time I'm finished talking about Ianthe, they'll be begging for you to come back. Oh, boy. I mean, listen, <laughs> you, someone, someone in the room has to be, has to be a fan of, of the third. I find the third interesting and concerning. I also find the sixth interesting and concerning, but for some reason, I just looked at the librarians and were like, you're mine now. Mm. I think no idea understandable. why that could be. Understandable. Yeah. Speaking, speaking as someone who has spent a lot of time avoiding social contact via libraries. Yeah, you get me. Mm -hmm. all, my, all my AO3 discography for this series is just sixth house. All I write about is the sixth house. <laughs> <laughs> I branch out a little bit every so often, but, you know, you stick with what you know, and what I know are nerds doing uh, you're nerd stuff. Too, I don't know. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I have fun. Okay. It's, um, it's a series that lends itself very well to fan work creation, which I really respect. That it does. Um, there are even, um, at some point in the series, I'm not going to mention when, but the author has some of her own AUs, so look forward to that. Um, mm -hmm. because it's wonderful I could not count how many fan works that spawned actually I very much could because AO3 <laughs> counts it for me but... I was gonna say <laughs> before we devolve into giggles and rambles again I want kind of uh, all of us to give our rating on Gideon how we feel about it as a book and maybe out of 10 how we feel about it Cam if you'd like to go first oh boy alright uh how I feel about the book? Very normal. I'm going to say 
Ah, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 simply because I feel a 10 out of 10 way about one of the other books in the series. So there's like a ranking. Um, in terms of Gideon, the only thing that I have to say about the book that it was a bit jarring to me but did not take away from my enjoyment is that there are parts of the story that do yield a lot to description without a lot of dialogue or action, which when put so sharply against Gideon's narrative voice throughout the rest of the story, it did feel a little... Not strange in a bad way, but just it was a bit different. Um, but other than that, 10 out of 10, no notes. It's it's a story that I think if you if you aren't sure about the whole crossover genre thing, um, this will convert you because it is very cleverly done. It's very well done and it's fun. Despite the very serious topics at hand and all of the nuances that are tackled it's fun and it's really rare to find a story that makes you feel like you've been hit over the head with a brick while you're also laughing and shaking your head ruefully at the like umpteenth meme reference that you found in the text and i really respect and enjoy that so those are my thoughts <laughs> yeah um i would say if i'm have to keep my max out of 10 to within the series that Gideon would be my 10 out of 10. Um, personally, it's my favorite of the three books because I'm a real sucker for narrative style, like what Gideon does. Um, if you're a mm. fan of how Percy Jackson is during the first five books of the Percy Jackson books, mm -hmm. you'll probably also like Gideon's voice. And for me, Gideon's voice was a big thing. Um, transitioning um, to the way the rest of the series is done was a little hard for me, I'll admit. Um, but it was worth it. Uh, trust me, it's mm -hmm. worth it. Um, Truly. I I really loved just the way Tamsin Moore did everything. The way the sci-fi was mixed in with the fantasy was very well done. Uh, mm -hmm. And the characters, even, like, at least two years later, have not left my head. Here, here. I think I'm also giving this one a 9 out of 10. Um, it is actually my second favorite book in the series overall. It's, it's a very close ranking. There is, there is a ranking, to be sure, but it's a very <laughs> close ranking. Um, um, I, love, I love the voice in Gideon, but like, I am a sucker for... Um, world building and giving answers um i'm not an engineer i probably should be but i'm definitely the kind of person who <laughs> <laughs> likes it when when the the world goes into details about how internal combustion engines work um so there's there's not as much of that going on in gideon um i'd probably say known is probably my favorite same. Mm, Nona yeah. would probably be my second favorite. Um, Nona, and... there's there's a lot of answering of questions that goes on in Nona. Yeah, but there's also yeah. more questions. Ah, there's always another question. There's always another secret, even. That's the phrase I was trying to remember. <laughs> And that is a series that we'll be probably covering at another point. But yeah. Nona's my favorite as well, because answers and also it just ruined my life in a really nice way. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, yeah. Um... Yep. I feel uh, very I, normal. If we ever get if we ever get to that book, I have many thoughts. <laughs> I remember you going crazy before uh, anyone else in our spaces had got their hands on it. And you you wanted to talk about it with someone, but you couldn't. No, I couldn't. I got an advanced copy, which was a boon, but also I was going insane for like two months. I couldn't talk to anyone. I was just sitting there going, well, I am feeling a very normal way. And I couldn't even be as abnormal in a fan space as I wanted to be because people know me well enough to know what would make me not be normal about this book. And so I had to like act normal and fine. It was very hard. It was a good <laughs> challenge for me. It was very interesting. <laughs> and then everyone that I knew read it and were like, oh, that's why. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I got. I knew that one of my best friends finished it because I just got a Discord DM that said, so that's why you've been acting like this. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's why. That would do it. Um... Mm -hmm. Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been a blast. Um, and if you want to find me other places online... Uh, <laughs> for some reason, um, I do, <laughs> I do talk about the series a lot, um, on TikTok. My TikTok handle is hello cameo, like cameo appearance. Um, and then I also make things like shirts and stickers and patches and pins for the series, um, on my Etsy shop, which is called Waywards, W-A-Y-W-O-R-D-S, Paper Co. Um, so if you go to Etsy and type that in, you'll probably find me. So if you decide you want you too can have a shirt that says go loud on it if you want. Um, I started the shop by accident, kind of, a couple years ago, and fans <laughs> like my stuff, so here I am. Yeah, I just do things. I don't know. Um, but yes, you can find me places online. Um, and we can talk about the locked tomb more on God's own internet, because uh, what is the internet for? I suppose one good question. Do you have any more of the uh, leftover pens, Cad? I do. I ran I ran a Kickstarter for Baxter. I ran a Kickstarter. Uh, they are Ninth House Skulls with the Aviator Sunglasses, and the Aviator Sunglasses have uh, different pride, flag, uh, pride flags on them. And uh, the pin Kickstarter did really well, which was shocking and really flattering. Um, and so in a few weeks from when this episode airs, the leftover pins from that Kickstarter will be online for anyone who wants to uh, get their hands on them. And you too can have a tiny skull with your favorite pride flag on it. Or even two of your that favorite is... pride flags, which is what I got. Yeah, you can collect them. You can get make a little collection. They can hang up on your wall or something, or on your jacket. And uh, stare at all those backpack. who. <laughs> Amazing, perfect. They can just stare at everyone around you. Which everyone got... will know. Yeah, I've already got. Uh, I think two other locked tomb skull pins on my backpack, along with the one that was released with Nona. Um, so everyone at university is going to think I'm very normal. Yes, we all feel a very normal way about this series, clearly. Um, totally normal Fairly. and fine. Nothing to see here. Yeah. Yes, absolutely normal. But I, I like that we live in, a, in an era where these kinds of stories that are just what I like to call casually queer, where like it's just a factor of the world. Um, I like that that exists. I like that we're in a time where that's something that can just be. That's really neat. Makes me yeah, happy. It's um, definitely something that's been fun to do i think perhaps probably the first uh queer thing i read because it uh 
it took me a hot minute. Um, might have been Gideon. Mm. Um, mm. I know it was. Yeah, I think that was it actually. <laughs> it's a good good starter book. Definitely, and I know you plan on talking about some of the others that I read after it um, at some point. Woo! Alright, well, before we take up too much of your time, Cam, because you do have places to be, um, I have been Maya. <laughs> you sure have been. I sure have. <laughs> Well, thank you again for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I'm it very glad been... I got to be so extremely very normal. It has been very fun to have you, Kim. We hope uh, we can have you again at some point. Name the time and place. I'll be there. All right. Uh, definitely would love to have you on. These are always fun. Yeah. All right. Well, bye. Bye. <laughs>